Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Alrighty, we are going to begin in the book of Acts, so you can turn to Acts chapter 1 if you have it. That's where we began when we first started this study. And as we close out this series, we want to go back to the beginning to identify why this book of Acts is vital for us to understand the gospel. And so we're going to begin in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. This is the very beginning of the book of Acts, and this is what Luke records. He says this, He, being Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. What Luke is referring to in verse 3 is what Jesus did after he lived on earth, after he died, after he was buried, after he resurrected, this was after all of that, after the resurrection, he stayed around in order to teach the disciples, to talk to them. And these are some of the things that he did, appearing to them, it says, for 40 days, speaking to them about what was his subject during these 40 days. The kingdom of God the kingdom of God. So today we're going to unpack this kingdom of God and kind of Jesus's perspective on it while he was here on the earth. But after his ascension, he spoke to the disciples about the kingdom of God. Verse four, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This was their primary concern. For 40 days, he spoke to them about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and what that might look like. And so they were very, um, imagine the roller coaster of emotions um, that would have had transpired during the last few days of Jesus's life here on this earth. He has the last supper with them. He talks to them about his impending death. And then, of course, uh, we see Peter denying Jesus. We see him being arrested. We see him being uh, treated horribly by the Romans. We see him being going in front of a, a, a trial before the powers that be. We see him carrying his cross to uh, Mount Golgotha. We see him uh, uh, crucified. We see him die. We see all of these things happening. And then all of a sudden he's resurrected. And if there's a time to set up the kingdom of God, no doubt the disciples are saying, you've conquered death. Now let's get rid of the Romans, <laughs> right? You've conquered the grave. You conquered death. What else are we waiting for? We have won. We've been victorious. Let us now set up the kingdom. So they were very curious. Will you at this time restore the kingdom in Israel? And Jesus responds this way. He said to them, none of your business. <laughs> right? He says this. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And so we go on to this great journey through the book of Acts on what it looks like for the Spirit-empowered church to reach people with the good news of the Jesus apart from Israel having their kingdom 
being restored. So today is a little bit of a different message in in that um, you're going to have to do the work with me. You're going to have to dig into the scripture. You're going to have to pay attention. You're going to not be distracted. You might have to listen to this message again later this week to really get the full understanding. It's a little bit difficult passage to understand. We're going to unpack in Matthew chapter 22, but we're ready for it, right? We've done the work. We've looked at the book of Acts, and now we're going to go to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to unpack what it looks like for the disciples to hear a parable from Jesus. So way back in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus talks to them through a parable about the kingdom of God. So first, what is a parable? In your notes, a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. Um, The pastor I had when I was a kid used to say this, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? Right? So it is a story that Jesus told using very familiar items, very familiar scenarios, very familiar emotions to describe something that was normally very difficult to understand. So you, you use parables with your children. We use parables growing up. Um, perhaps the one that comes to mind for me is the one about the tortoise and the hare, Right? Here's a familiar story with familiar creatures that lead us to a discovery about a lesson that those familiar items are now teaching us, right? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to read, listen, hear this story as Jesus told it. We're going to unpack it, and at the end, we're going to see how this fits as a discovery on the book of Acts. And so uh, before we jump in, while you're listening, um, I'm just going to tell the story. And the reason I'm going to do that from the scriptures is because this is how the disciples, how they first heard the story, is they just heard Jesus tell it. And so for a few minutes, don't look at the notes, just listen to the story as Jesus told it. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they wouldn't come. Again, he sent the other servants saying, well, tell those who are invited, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted calves to be slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. And they went off. One to his farm, another to his business. The rest seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. And the king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to the servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. So go therefore to the main roads and invite the wedding feast as many as you can find. And the servants went out into the roads and gathered all they could find, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him 
hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This is Jesus' parable in Matthew 22. So he uses very familiar components. He talks about a wedding, and he talks about a wedding feast. And in doing so, as he shares the story of this wedding feast and the king and people who would not come to this wedding feast, he unpacks for the disciples what it looks like in the kingdom of God. Let's begin unpacking it. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 says this, Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven. So everything he's about to share about this story, about this parable, is about what? The kingdom of heaven. Remember, you got to roll up your sleeves today, participate, help me out. If, if you don't answer, I'm just going to feel like you're, you're still here and this might take a lot longer than you want. Okay? So what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about what? The kingdom of heaven. Everything he's about to share about the parable here is to illustrate a principle in the kingdom of heaven. He says this, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But read the last portion of verse 3. Ready, begin. But they would not come. So, as we unpack it together, first we see the first invitation is refused. It's just flat out refused. Jesus explains the kingdom of God through the parable and also explains to the religious leaders and to the listening crowds the dangers of rejecting him. And Jesus uses the perspective of a wedding to help us understand what it looks like to reject him. A wedding was and is today a significant event in people's lives. The wedding of a prince would be a spectacular event, and an invitation would normally be pretty prized. I don't know how to relate it for today, but in their time, what Jesus is illustrating is, this is not an invitation you have a choice in refusing. The king is inviting you to celebrate his son's marriage, and you have a personal invitation. So the expectation is that you would come, right? That you would come and join in the celebration. After all, he is the king. And because we don't live in a monarchy or a kingdom, we have a really hard time understanding what this means. If the king is inviting you, you come. If we had an elected official and they invited you to a wedding and you had a, a conflict on your calendar, you could respectfully decline and most likely it would be okay. But in their, uh, in their context... For a king to invite you to such an important event, it would have been rude, it would have been um, costly, let's just say, to decline the invitation. Um, It seems strange that they would have refused the invitation to this royal wedding, which kind of illustrates a principle that there's no really logical reason that God's good gifts are refused. It's interesting because one of the wording in in verse 2 or verse 3 says, All things are ready, which is the message of the gospel. God has prepared something for the nation of Israel and has invited them to come and partake. But as often the case for the nation of Israel, they declined. Leads us to one of our thoughts this morning. 
You don't come to God's feast and prepare your own meal. He has made it ready for you. You come to receive. Now, how silly would this be for you to come to God's feast and bring a brown bag? Right? The invitation clearly says the meal is catered. The invitation clearly says you don't have to come in anything. Just come in your wedding garments. Come ready to partake. Come ready to celebrate. And here you come bringing your igloo cooler with food you brought. And as the meal is being served, he said, no, 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 I got it. We got a ham and cheese sandwiches. We brought some potato salad. We brought our own food to this meal. Well, that's a silly proposition, isn't it? So this is the kingdom of God. You don't come to God's feast and prepare your own meal. He has made it ready for you. You come to receive. So we continue in verse 4. Again, so what has happened so far? The first invitation's been refused. Verse 4, again he sent another other servant saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat, fat calves have been slaughtered. And everything is ready. Read the last part of verse 4 together. Come to the wedding feast. Here's the second invitation. He says, no, no, they don't understand. I, I've done all of this work. I've prepared it. We are ready to eat together. Please come, verse 5. But they paid no attention. They went off. One to his farm. Another to his business. And while the rest seized his servants, they treated him shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. You can say things escalated quickly, right? So what has happened here? The first invitation is sent. The people refuse it. They don't come. The king says, no, 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 no. Uh, tell them again all of the preparation I've made. They pay him no attention. They go off and do their own business. In fact, when those people who went off and do their own business, messengers from the king come again, say, no, 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 please come to this wedding feast. Those people are so uh, angry and could not be bothered to adjust their schedules that they went out and killed those messengers. The word comes back to the king, and the king's so angry that he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So now we see the second invitation is refused. Everything's prepared. The king has persisted in making the invitation as attractive as possible. But people were invited, and they declined. Now... In Jewish culture of that day, there was not going to be a time for the wedding. You would simply get word of what day you're celebrating. So they would say something like, we're going to celebrate on, uh, on August the 4th. And that would be the day. You would not know what time on that day, but you would know that there would be the wedding feast on that day. And what would happen is, through the course of that day, as the servants put together the meal, as they prepared the table, as they prepared everything, when it was time for them, people to come, then the word would go out and the messengers would go out in the city and say, now's the time, come to the wedding. And you were expected to drop what you were doing, go to the wedding and partake. Now, the reaction of those invited here made no sense. 
Some of them made light of the invitation. Others go back to their own business. Some seem to say, well, let the king do what he wants. I'm going to look after my farm or I'm going to look after my family. And the king was furious and he sent out his armies in destroying those murderers who killed the message of the second invitation. We come to our next thought and that's this. The reaction of those invited made no sense but it does give an accurate description of the reaction of many to the gospel. You see, Jesus is telling this parable in Matthew chapter 22. Think about the timeline of Jesus' life. This is before uh, the Last Supper. This is before the betrayal of Judas. This is before uh, Peter's denial. This is before the death, the burial, the resurrection. This is before any of it. And Jesus is pointing to something in the future saying, this is what it's going to be like in our kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is going to be like this. Not only did they reject his invitation, they murdered his messengers. This ends up becoming a prophecy of what would happen to Jerusalem, the city whose religious leader so strongly rejected Jesus and his gospel. We'll talk about that in a little bit later. Verse 8, we continue. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not ready. So go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding fest as feast as many as you can find. Uh, so understand what's happening. There was, there, was, um, there was a wedding list, right? They got a first invitation. Same wedding list got a second invitation. That one did not go so well. People are dying now because of this second invitation. So now the king says, listen, just go out in the city, go out into the roads, and if you find anyone, whether they're on the list or not, invite them to the wedding. We read on in verse 10. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found. What kind of people? Both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Isn't this interesting? The king was just concerned with filling the table for the celebration of his son. And at first there was this wedding list and people that were invited and probably carefully scrutinized in terms of the list. They wouldn't come and so he sends out the wedding list again or the invitation again. And now people are angry that the king is imposing on them when to show up and how to show up. And so now they're killing the messengers of the second invitation and now the king says enough just go out go out into the streets into the cities into the roads and when you find someone whether they're bad or good invite them through this hall the result is this the wedding hall was filled with guests so here's the third invitation the king was determined that he would not have an empty banquet hall for his son's wedding so this invitation was given out to all who would hear. They went out into the highways and they gathered all they could find, both bad and good. You see, this is a parable about grace. This is a parable about the king disregarding social norms, disregarding someone's value, worth, or, uh, or uh, responsibilities in life. He's simply saying, I just want people here to celebrate. 
Those who were invited and those who came were utterly undeserving of the invitation, much less the wedding itself. Verse 11, we continue now. But the wedding, but when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. So let's unpack what's happening here. In order to attend the wedding, you had to be dressed for the wedding. This does not say that he showed up without clothes. That'd be a completely different type of parable. (laughs) What he's saying is he didn't come dressed in the appropriate attire for the wedding. So the wedding invitation that went out into the city, into the roads, where they said, hey, whether you're good, whether you're bad, just come. It was still given with the same invitation as the first and second invitation was, and that is this. This is the king's wedding. Are the king's son's wedding? This is a feast. Please come dressed appropriately for this wedding. And here comes this guy with the audacity to show up in his scrubs, in his work clothes, as it were. And so the the king says to him, friend, which he's being very generous with that word, and you'll see why in a moment. He says, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Verse 13. So the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the utter darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. How many have heard that verse in church over the years? Many are called, but few are chosen. How many of you realize it was from this parable here? It's such an interesting embedded statement on what's happening with this parable. Let's talk about what this man without wedding garments signifies. You see, the, the, the king carefully examined his guests to see if they all wore the garments that were customarily offered to those attending a wedding feast. The man without this robe was conspicuous by his difference, and he came inappropriately dressed, and the king noticed. Now, there is a debate among historians as to whether it was customary for a king or nobleman to offer his guests a garment to wear at such occasion. There seemed to have been a tradition among this with Greek culture, but not so much Jewish culture. Quite apart from who supplied the proper garments, the man clearly was out of place. And he came because he was invited But he came only in appearance. Now stay with me. This is where it gets really uh, crucial for us to just sit with the tension of this passage. Because it doesn't make sense that the guy comes in with the wrong clothes and all of a sudden the king says, you don't have an explanation? Great. Guys, bind him, hand, foot, cast him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That seems a little bit extreme for not being dressed in the proper attire for a wedding. 
But now the parable has shifted. Do you see it shift? It started with familiar ideas, familiar events, so people could understand the emotion and tension of the day. And now he has shifted into the lesson or the moral or the understanding of this parable. He came because he was invited and the banquet was intended to honor the king's son, but this man meant nothing of the kind. He didn't come to honor. He was willing to eat the good things set before him, but in his heart, there was no love either for the king or his son. And the man who did as he pleased at the wedding, instead of honoring the king and and coming with the appropriate response, suffers a terrible fate. He had by his actions, if not by his words, says, I'm a free person. I can do what I want. I can show up at this invitation, and I can show up in my clothes. I can show up with my own uh, standing, and I can come as I want. And the king said to his servants, he'll never be free again. He had made too free with holy things. He had actively insulted the king and he would have his own choice to deal with his own results the last point in your notes i believe says this god invited all that would come including who gentiles remember that but they could only come if they were clothed in the garments of jesus This is Jesus' big lesson, moral understanding of this parable when it comes to the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to invite all who would come, but they could only come if we are clothed in the garments of Jesus. Thus, the statement of Jesus in this context touches on the great working of the choices we make and the choosing of God. Why did they not come? Why did they not come to the wedding party? Well, because they refused the invitation. And why did they not come to the wedding party? Well, many are called, but few are chosen. Do you see the great tension between our ability to decide something and also the sovereignty of God? We hold both with this tension. Matthew chapter 22 is a parable illustrating what would happen in the book of Acts as it concerns the kingdom of God. Let's review it and we'll put it into context. The first invitation is refused or accepted? It's refused. Everything's ready for the gospel. All things are ready in the message of the gospel. Jesus comes down and he points people to a savior a kingdom that is not like this kingdom he comes and he meets with people and when he begins his ministry and when he calls the disciples he goes out to the people and he meets their immediate needs and he tells them about a kingdom that's coming and what would happen some would believe and some would refuse and many of those who would refuse wanted to come to god's feast wanted to come and celebrate his son but they wanted to carry the igloo with them with their own food. So that first invitation in the book of Acts is refused by the Jews, isn't it? How many times when we read through the book of Acts did we see uh, Peter spoke to the Jews and they were refused? They refused to inherit, to embrace the gospel. Um, Paul would preach over and over to the Jews first 
And what would happen? It would be refused. So the first invitation is refused. The second invitation is refused also, right? They didn't come either. Instead, they began to kill or persecute God's servant who brought the message of the feast. Do you remember that happening in the book of Acts? The Jewish people are then again presented with this gospel, with this kingdom, with this new way of looking at life. And although they rejected it the first time, the second time they came, they also rejected it. And now there was persecution. Now they would uh, go out and actively try to kill Paul. Remember how many times Paul was kicked out of an area or region. It was because the, Gentile, the, the Jews could not handle this new message of the gospel. And when they were presented with the opportunity, they rejected it. And the second invitation would be refused. Again, this is a prophecy of what would happen. Now the third invitation. Remember what happened in the third invitation? Oh, this is beautiful. Let's just take a moment to pray real quick. Father, would you, this is such a beautiful part of this story, and I just feel so unworthy to share it. So Father, would you, would you in your, 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 your church's heart reveal the beauty of what we're going to talk about right now? In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the third invitation. And here's the king who wants to celebrate his son. And the king says, man, they wouldn't respond. And they wouldn't respond again. In fact, they they went after my messengers. And so now we see the shift in the book of Acts where, where God basically says, and the church says, anyone who will hear this message, will you please come? It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or a master. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Would you please come? It doesn't matter if you're good or bad, the parable says, right? How many of you are glad he just said good or bad, by the way? (laughs) Come on now. Whether you're good or bad, please come to this feast. We talked about how this is a parable of grace. And the kingdom of heaven is not about a list of requirements that you get to check off in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's about releasing all of that and saying, man, I just embrace the grace of God. He invited all that would come, but they could only come if they were clothed in the garments of Jesus. You know what he asked um, the Jewish people to do in order to become a part of the kingdom of heaven is to repent of their sins, to be baptized, and to name the name of Jesus, right? To repent means to change the way you think, to change the way you're going and going in a different direction. To be baptized means to, you're going to identify with God and what he has done for you, and you're going to identify with his people. And then to, uh, to, to name the name of Christ, to not be shamed, uh, shamed by what you have, the decisions you have made. That was what he asked the Jewish people. You know what he asked the Gentiles to do? The same thing. There was no extra requirements for the outsider. There was, no, uh, there was not a lesser standard for the Jews. 
God simply says, the kingdom of heaven is this. Please come. Please come. Just come. All of your sin, all of your brokenness, everything that you have, just come. But here's the caveat. You can only come if you're clothed in what? The garments of Jesus. We have a misunderstanding of what it means to be a Christian today because if you simply like what Jesus says, it doesn't mean you're a Christian. It means you have good taste. Just because you attend our church on a Sunday morning doesn't make you a Christian. I should say it makes you have good taste, right? (laughs) Just because you fulfill some of these areas of what we think Christianity is about doesn't mean you're in the kingdom of heaven because you must be clothed in the garments of Jesus. You must be willing to say, not my will, but yours. Um, You must be willing to say, it's not because of the righteousness which I have done, but according to your mercy, you have saved me. And what was happening is there was this one sole gentleman who came to the wedding and said, I'm going to come, but my clothes are just fine. My clothes are just fine, so I'm going to come on my own. And what he didn't realize is what he was wearing was as filthy rags. Remember what Isaiah said? He said, your righteousness, your perspective of the righteousness that you have lived out are compared to filthy rags. Some historians, not all, but some historians believe that filthy rags was a reminder to the Jewish people on what it meant to have leprosy. And if you had leprosy, you were an outsider. You were outcast from society. You were outside, outcast from culture. You couldn't enter synagogue. You couldn't get Um, You had to do different things in order to get cleansed. You were set apart. Uh, You were unholy, unclean, not fit to be around people. And people with leprosy would have sores and boils, and they would take the, the rags, and they would clean themselves with those rags. And what Jesus, or what Isaiah said, is the righteousness you think you have, you know those rags you use to clean off your leprosy? That's your righteousness in comparison to a holy God. So he invited all that would come, but they could only come if they were clothed in the garments of Jesus. The parable demonstrates that those indifferent to the gospel or those antagonistic against the gospel And those unchanged by the gospel share the same fate. So it doesn't matter if you are indifferent to the gospel. You say, well, I just live my own life and I treat everyone kind. And and because of that, I'm probably just as good without Jesus as I am with God. It doesn't matter if you're antagonistic where you think the words and teachings of Jesus or the church are abusive to our generation. And you think that what we're about is completely wrong. It doesn't matter if you're unchanged by the gospel. Any of those share the same fate. You're bound. You're cast in utter darkness. Not enjoying the king's feast he set up for you in the first place. So what is our call? What is our call as we understand the book of Acts, as we see this parable kind of, Uh, take shape and and give us understanding to what happened over the whole course 
of the book of Acts. Well, our, our responsibility is simply to extend the invitation to the feast. So we're going to end where we began. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. When they had come together, they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, no, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power. Let's read this together. Ready? Begin. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The message of Acts is this. The gospel is for everyone. And our call is to be a witness. So a witness is someone who sits at a trial and all they do is simply recount what they have seen, what they have heard, and what they have experienced. Church, what have you seen God do? What have you heard from him through the Holy Spirit and through scripture? And what have you experienced by God's grace? When you're able to put words and language to those three thoughts, you become a witness. Um, when, I was, when I was in Bible college, uh, so I, I enrolled when I was right after high school, so 18, 19 years old, 1999 or so. Yeah, I had this weird thought that it's been 25 years since I've been in high school. Y'all, just pray for me with that thought. When I was in college, there was a term that came out to help churches understand how they could reach um, their communities. And the term was lifestyle evangelism. Anybody heard of that term? If you've been in church for any length of time, you probably heard, heard that term, lifestyle evangelism. And the idea is this, that based on how well you live your life, people will see the gospel. And it was in response to a heavy current in uh, Christianity and evangelicalism uh, to be very vocal with your faith, right? And people um, had a hard time embracing what it looked like to be vocal with your faith. Um, and so in response to that, there was this undercurrent of saying, that's important, but we should also be mindful of our lifestyle evangelism. Well, what happened in the course of his, our church history for that little bit of time, for about 10 or 15 years, lifestyle evangelism became the primary way that people thought they would obey God. And here's the issue. Between sharing the gospel vocally and, and personal evangelism that way and lifestyle evangelism... Guess what God calls you to do? Both. He asks you to do both. No doubt, he absolutely asks you to live a life that shines light on who Jesus is. But it doesn't mean he asks you to do that instead of sharing your story. In fact, if you have lived your Christianity 
hoping that people would just see you smile and see your light and your positivity and shine and relying on that for people to hear the good news, we are doing an incomplete job of being a witness. And this is why we are going to, why I'm going to share my story, why I'm going to ask you to put language to your story and to figure out what that looks like. And I'm not going to ask anyone to do it like I will on stage with a microphone, with a camera. But I am going to ask you to tell your spouse your story. I am going to ask you to tell your children. I am going to ask you to find two or three of your very best friends and find a time for you to tell them their story. Because we have done a disservice to the kingdom of God. And if we're not careful, we're going to obey God incompletely which means what if you have children? If you have children that obey you incompletely, what have they done? You didn't want to say that one out loud, did you? <laughs> They've disobeyed. The gospel is for everyone, which means all of us do our part. And people will not come to Jesus simply because of the way we live our lives. They will come to Jesus because they hear the gospel from our lips. And the way we live our lives is the evidence of the story we share in the first place. This is the book of Acts. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.